Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. 3-1 pitch, swing and a drive. Deep to right field, way up there, way out of here. Goodbye baseball. Eight strikeouts for the King tonight and make it 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Phoenix. Right three called on the outside corner and there it is. And for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. And it's back, Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Thanks for being here once again. Great to have you here as we get closer to the weekend. Well, the series against the Yankees in the books, we're going to talk about that coming up in a few minutes. The Mariners dropped the game yesterday. Tanaka was outstanding. But Tonsis, you still want to be trailing facing that guy, and that's exactly what happened. Mariners are trailing. They lose the final two games of the three-game series. They hadn't lost a series in a while, but they lose one to the Yankees. So we'll talk about that coming up. We'll get reaction from the skipper coming up as well. So that's going to be in a few minutes. A couple of great pieces on the way from Shannon Dreyer, including a conversation with Manny Acta, which is always outstanding, and a long conversation with one of the longtime voices in Major League Baseball, John Sterling, voice of the Yankees, for so many years, he's got some very entertaining stories to tell. So that comes up in a few minutes. I think you'll enjoy that. So a ton to get to. We'll also take a look at the standings and see where the Mariners are as they head to Chicago to take on the White Sox. And what's going to be a very difficult series when you look at the pitching matchup. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Game yesterday, though, very similar to the one before. It was all about... The Yankees starting pitching. CC Sabathia, seven strong against the Mariners two days ago. Yesterday, it was Tanaka. And really, between the two ball games, Mariners just could not get much going offensively at all. Yesterday, Mariners fall 5 nothing to the Yankees. Mariners, eight hits along the way. Not many opportunities, though, to speak of. Runners their leads at first and second in the one-two pitch. Curveball strike three called. Batances striking out Zanino, the pinch hitter, batting for Nelson Cruz, and the inning is over. Not many chances the night before either. Mariners fall 5-0 yesterday. The day before, 5-1. Mariners just one run in the two games. Sabathia set again. Here's the 2-2 pitch. Broken bat up the middle. It gets past Sabathia. Trickles into center field. That's a base hit, and this game is tied. 
Ketel Marte sneaks it into center field. Martin scores. It is one to one. One to one at that point, but the Yankees four unanswered. So they take the final two games of the series and they take the series. So two games to one. Yankees win the series. Here's what the skipper, Scott Service, had to say after. No, I had a back issue, uh, spasm uh, locked up on him. Um, you know, it was bothering him this morning uh, when he came in. Actually, started last night, and he wanted to give it a go today. But you know, after the second, third at bat, is is pointless. Really bothered him running. Um, he did get in and, and get some treatment, and kind of had it adjusted. And he actually feels better. He just came in my office, so. Uh, fingers crossed. Hopefully, he'll be available tomorrow. But that's that was the situation there. Offensively, it's a couple of days. Pretty good. Really has. Um, you know, I got to give the Tanaka credit. It really good split finger today. Um, you know, cutting the ball in, moving it around on our guys. You know, we had a couple chances early. Uh, if the, the Leonis ball gets over the top of the wall, you know, it ties the game at two. You know, and then we don't score that inning on. Uh, O'Malley hits the comebacker, and then we had a chance there in the third as well, hitting the double play, and that was really about it. You know, they, they pitched us well all series. You know, we haven't been shut down like that in quite some time, and and um, you, know, you don't score, it's going to be going to be tough to win up. You know, Kuma was not on. Uh, I do again. I give him a ton of credit. He figures how to manage through it, and you look up, and it's still only three nothing, and you know, he's still thinking you got a chance. So, uh, fastball command was probably not quite as sharp as it has been for him today, uh, but. You know, it says a lot about, you know, game management and kind of working your way through to give us a chance. It just, you know, we just didn't get anything going offensively. There's not, uh, probably not too many uh, guys who've been in one of the Meyer leagues three weeks ago that intentionally walked twice with, uh, you know, guy behind him. It's, it's 400 home run. He's earned it. Yeah. What was your thinking? He's earned it. You know, when, uh, he did a lot of damage against us, and it's not just the damage; it's it's how he's doing it. You know, hitting the ball out of the park, and you know he's a good-looking young player, uh, obviously. And um, you know, we'll, we'll take our chance. I certainly respect Mark Teixeira and what he's done in his career. I've seen a lot of it, uh, but you know, you're you're playing the game and watching it with the naked eye. It's pretty obvious who is hot, and uh, you know, Sanchez did a heck of a series. You've been big on the you know nothing to lose mentality, which has worked for you guys a lot. Is that mentality harder to abide by when you're right there within striking distance? Oh, you know, uh, I hope not. You know, you want to kind of go with that all the time. Um, you know, we have not lost a series at home in quite some time. I think it was before the All Star break. I can't remember one after the break. Um, so, you know, we're in a tough spot in our schedule. Um, our third baseman was out today, who's been a big part of our team. Our four hole hitters are a little banged up. We're up against it. You know, and uh, knowing the guys in this clubhouse and, and the group around, the coaching staff, everybody, uh, we'll show up in Chicago. We'll go out and compete, and, and we'll find a way. Uh, we, we have all year, but that's uh, uh, the way you got to approach it. I, I'm not going to change. Uh, why would I? You know, it's, it's, it's hung in there. It's worked pretty good so far. There it is. That's the skipper reacting to the loss yesterday. And the biggest concern moving forward is health. Kyle Seeger sat out yesterday with a foot. Nelson Cruz had to leave the game as well. You heard uh, Scott Service talking about it a little bit. Here's what Nelson Cruz had to say about his back. Yeah, I feel it's, I haven't felt since yesterday, you know. All, all the bats that I got yesterday was uh, kind of, you know, rough. Um, and today when I wake up, it was worse. So I tried to do the best I can, you know, to at least be in the lineup uh, with Sigurao. You know, we don't want to 
have um, you know those those guys out, you know, even myself. So um, I tried to push it, you know. I, I don't think it was a smart thing to do, but uh, um, I just want to be there. Where are you right now with that? I imagine you've got it, this it feels before. it feels better. Um, like I say earlier, you know, I, the main thing was my pelvis was off, so they mm. put it back in place, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it feels better. Now you get to fly in a plane for four hours. Yes, so I need to relax, I guess. <laughs> Just lay down and, and relax. Yeah, so obviously that will be something to watch tonight. Seeger and Cruz to see if they're in the lineup. And fingers crossed that they both will be against the White Sox in game one of the series. So here's what the standings look like. It's still a mess in the East. Boston, Toronto tied for the East, also tied for the first wild card. Both lost yesterday. Baltimore now has won three in a row. Mariners three games back of Baltimore and now tied with Detroit, who has won three games in a row. The Astros one and a half back of the Mariners. KC two games back. They actually lost a game yesterday. And the Yankees with the two wins in a row, now uh, two games back of the Mariners. So the M's will take on the White Sox starting tonight. Detroit will be at Minnesota. Off day for Houston. Then they'll take on Tampa Bay for the weekend. Kansas City will be at Miami. That's going to continue tomorrow. Uh, Baltimore will be continue. They'll be at Washington. That series will continue. And Toronto will be at L.A. That series will continue. Uh, Boston will continue at Tampa Bay. And we'll, again, we'll talk about the weekend coming up on the podcast tomorrow get you set for the series coming up. We'll talk more in depth about this series against the White Sox coming up as well, including a Friday night clash between Felix Hernandez and Chris Sale. It doesn't get any better than that, but that's what makes this series tough. Sale Quintana, back-to-back, three lefties in a row the Mariners will have to face in this series against the White Sox. And so it's not going to be easy. 5-10 first pitch tonight, 5-10 on Friday, 4-10 Saturday, and 11-10 on Sunday. Mariners against the White Sox, a big four-game series coming up. Again, we'll talk much more about it coming up in the podcast tomorrow. Right now, we're going to hand things over to Shannon Dreyer. Fun conversation with Manny Acta. Here it is. Catching up with third base coach Manny Acta. And Manny, we've been hearing about this, and there have been little pieces and bits and pieces that have got out. There was some actually some video of the golf that got out yesterday. But uh, the M's Olympics almost almost wrapped up right now. But um, tell us what the highlight of the games has been for you. Uh, the golf game was just outstanding yesterday. Uh, you know, they it came to a tie, and we actually had to get out a, a, a measuring tape. Uh, just two <laughs> inches separated uh, Casey Candel uh, from Billy uh, on the uh, on the last shot because they went to a tiebreaker. So it was interesting. Our um, fungal golf was interesting. We needed a, an extra hole between myself and Tim Boger, but you know, the, the highlight of it is it, it's how every one of these guys uh, has embraced that and how it keeps the team together and, and Scotty deserves a lot of credit for doing all this kind of stuff because guys get into it, we get to know each other better um, we discover you know, different guys' talents that we didn't know that they had and um, you know, one of the best things is that the captains of the teams are not the popular big name guys, but mm-hmm. you know, all the guys like Edwin Diaz, uh, 
just to name one of them that are young guys and, and they're given an opportunity to lead, to pick, uh, and, and and to run this thing. It's it's outstanding. Everybody has been involved, and uh, so far the the medal count is pretty tight. And uh, <laughs> yeah, hopefully this next uh, road trip will wrap it up, and uh, and yellow team continues to to do well. It's kind of cool in the golf is you got to use the stadium a little bit. You guys are up in the upper deck. Yeah, that that was fun. Uh, uh, team Bogart actually came up with the the holes for the fungal golf, and you know we hit a ball to start it from the third deck, which was fun. We're also waiting for the water balloon <laughs> toss and catch, uh, the the tape tossing, which created the biggest controversy, yeah, because, you know, Nelly Cruz just, uh, he tried to ignore the rules, and everybody needs to have their own jersey, and uh, he felt that he was set up because everybody saw that he wasn't wearing his T-shirt, and they waited until he tossed the tape to, to disqualify him, but... It's been good. Our um, committee of discipline have been firm, so you know we haven't overturned anything. So it's great. The pool tournament, uh, Edgar. You know, Edgar was great during spring training, and he won the gold medal. I guess he's a he's a pool shark. Mm-hmm. So Never play Edgar. no. Got a question on the swell, and congratulations. That has just been the fans are just they love that the chronicling of it. You, you are, I guess, the scribe and the keeper of the swellment, I would think. But somebody asked, how does that travel? How who takes care of the swellment on the road? Uh, when we go on the road, um, uh, Ryan. Uh, um, Styles, our clubhouse manager, is in charge of to making sure it goes on the road. But okay. uh, if you win, you keep it. Mm-hmm. So you're supposed to bring the swellment wherever you go with you up until you pass it to the next guy. Uh, we just make sure that when we're leaving Seattle, you know, that Ryan makes sure that the guys don't leave him behind. <laughs> but you're supposed to carry it and have it in your locker up until you hand it out to the next guy. So there's no backup swellment? No mock-up swellment has been made? or anything. No, and actually we went into a panic mode uh, <laughs> on the last road trip because, um, you know, we couldn't find it. And the player didn't – I think it was Kuma. I think he <laughs> – he left it behind here in Seattle, but Ryan picked it up because that's that's part of uh, uh, of his job description with the swellment. And uh, you know that I, I go into a panic mode right away because I post the pictures, and you can only post so many pictures or doctor so many pictures because the fans will find out right away and let me know. You know that's an old picture. You just blew it up or you just edited it. And uh, so we make sure that now that the swellment travels everywhere because, you know, I don't want to hear it. It's a big responsibility. You <laughs> might want to get that written into your next contract. On that <laughs> way. Manny, we were going to talk about Robbie Cano's catches, but we've run out of time. We will catch that next time. But uh, thank you. A lot of fun. Oh, thank you. And now Shannon's back with a concept that if you heard the podcast from a couple of days ago, you heard referenced by Jerry Depoto. Here's a little bit more. By now, you should know C to Z or Control the Zone, the Mariners' organizational theme for both hitting and pitching. But do you know PTPAs? The term made an appearance when DePoto was talking about the improvements at the plate Mike Zanino has made. And we have a program in our minor league system. We call it PTPAs. It's productive team plate appearances. We count them every day. And Mike very quickly bought into the idea that every time he went to the plate, he was there to have a productive plate appearance for the team. And once he took on that mindset, everything started flowing. The homers started leaving the ballpark. The walks became more frequent. And he was less likely to chase the slider away. And all those things lead to what you see today. And I think he's been fantastic and really an all-star skill set. 
And, of course, we needed to hear more. We've not introduced it at the major league level because it is, it is something in development that when you start it at the grassroots level and you let the guys grow with it and understand how to play team baseball. And, you know, you've heard me before talk about the, the points of offense, you know, the, the, the eight or nine points of offense that we, that we really hold dear, getting a runner over, getting on, taking your walk, the, the different ways, moving the, the conga line. PTPAs go into that. Each player is given credit every time he executes a PTPA and he gets a point. Jerry DePoto learned of PTPA tracking from Clint Hurdle, who introduced the system while the hitting coach for the Texas Rangers. Nelson Cruz benefited from PTPA tracking while a Ranger. He's a believer in what it can do for a system. I help the team. It doesn't show up the stuff. It's RBI. It doesn't show up, uh, I guess, a good stuff, you know. But uh, when the team wins, you know, and you do something to help the team win and says move the runner case uh, Aoki Marte Martin even us you know when we move the runner it's very important to have the guy on third you know we can we can help him out or take a walk or take the extra bases I mean it's a lot of stuff that you can do to help the team not only where you bad getting a hit or getting a double or a homer. Mariners hitting coach Edgar Martinez has seen the difference it's made for Mike Zanino. Sees the uh, going to the plate as uh, productive at bat uh, and not really concentrate on not too much in the result. It can help you control the sun a little more uh, if he goes thinking about that, especially when he goes to the plate and he works on it. Now he feels he can come to the big leagues and, and put it to practice. Yeah, it takes a little pressure off, too, I would imagine. It takes the focus off of the batting average. And, uh... Exactly, okay. yeah. Okay. You can feel that he's, uh, he's helping the team. Even if he sees seven pitches, he's, he's helping a lot. The mindset is different, and while he no longer tracks his PTPAs, they are still front of mind for Nelson Cruz. Like I say, you know, I know when I'm doing it, and now and I'm aware to that, you know. So okay. uh, any situation that comes up, you know, and like I say, you don't gotta get a hit every time. You take 600 about... Uh, the guys to get 200 hits, they hit 300, you know. <laughs> so you, uh, 400 bats, you fell. So uh, when you think it like that, you know, you, you find you find the, the game payback, you know. So that's the way I see it. Like Cruz and the Rangers organization, every Mariners minor leaguer is now learning about the importance of PTPAs. Along with Control the Zone, it's expected to be a part of their game when they reach Seattle. Now, something that Aaron and I have done quite a bit this season, we've uh, consciously tried to sit down with some of the the long time, some of the great voices in the game. Joe Castiglione, uh, Gary Thorne, and the list goes on and on. Uh, different guys that we've had a chance to sit down and talk to through the course of the season. And we did that again when the Yankees were in town. John Sterling who had some very entertaining stories to tell, and I think you'll be very interested to hear what he thinks of Edgar Martinez at a hitter, uh, as a hitter. And keep in mind, when he says what he says about Edgar, keep in mind the right-handed hitters that he has seen as a broadcaster for the Yankees. I don't want to give too much away, but let's, uh, let's go ahead and hear from John Sterling, longtime voice of the New York Yankees. John, it's a real privilege to have you here inside the home radio booth at Safeco Field. It's always nice having you here in Seattle. How do you enjoy coming to Safeco? Well, I have great memories of Seattle because I met my wife here. And I was talking to my eldest child, uh, Abigail, who's going off to Syracuse on Wednesday, tomorrow, 
And I said, I'm in Seattle. I said, I hope you understand what a special city this is for you. And she said, yeah, I know. You met Mommy there. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, four children later. Um, so anyway, this is a great city. And I've been coming here with the NBA since uh, the mid-'70s. And um, I've, I've loved probably every trip here in Seattle, you know. So, Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that you, you called games for the Atlanta Hawks, correct? Atlanta Hawks and Atlanta Braves through the 80s, and I got the Yankee job in 89. Now, I hear that there were some original calls of yours for Dominique Wilkins that were fairly memorable. Is, is this fair to say? Well, I don't know if they're memorable. He, <laughs> he loved them. Hey, it became a thing in the 80s in Atlanta. One thing, um, I never used his last name. I mean, if your name is Dominique, it's like Didi. I never use Gregorius <laughs> until he hits a home run. And um, so when Dominique would make a sensational play, which he did many times, I would say dumb stuff like, Dominique is magnifique. <laughs> <laughs> or Dominique is terrifique. Like that. That kind of nonsense. And the origins of the home run calls. Yeah. Well, you, your rookie season with the Yankees was in 1989. Don Mattingly was an all-star. He hit over 300 that year. What do you most remember from your rookie season as the voice of the New York Yankees? Well, I, I couldn't wait to see Mattingly play because I was in the National League in the 80s. And, you know, I'd read about it, uh, but there weren't the proliferation of games then. And there wasn't an MLB channel, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I couldn't wait to – I have a lot of stories about Mattingly, who I really like. We're really good friends. And uh, it was such a kick to watch him. That was his last good year, 89, before the back injuries. But I'll tell you, the, the best thing about it is that um, in the clubhouse, I would be one of many lined up to get autographs on something from Don Mattingly. <laughs> Even the teammates were lined up. <laughs> and he's, he's a terrific guy, and I knew he was going to be a good manager. He's much tougher than you think, and he's very bright. He knows every pitcher and every hitter in, in the league. Well, Don Mattingly is one in a long line of great players you've broadcast. Who's been your most fun to broadcast? Well, that is a good question. Uh, I guess Mariano, because mm -hmm. he you know, came in. I, uh, it's amazing. I broadcast every one of his games and every one of Jeter's games because I haven't missed a game, and their careers – I'm getting older and older by the moment. You know, I, I watched every game of their careers. It's tough to say, but I, I, I guess Mo because he was in all these big situations. Okay, well, you bring up the, the Iron Man streak. This is something that's been going on for you even before you were with the Yankees. We, we already referenced your time in Atlanta. When did this streak become so big that now it's like you, you can't break it, can you, John? How many? Do you know what the current tally is, by the way? Well, someone just did a big article in Newsday about it um, a few days ago, and they counted up over 4,000. I forget the number. And in the article, I say, well, I, I don't care about numbers. For, I'm not a stat guy. And I don't go to work every day and say, I'm going to add on to the streak. I just <laughs> love, the, love the game. But in, in Atlanta, they, which they didn't include in the streak, uh, it began in November 81 with the first Hawks game. And I never missed a game that I was supposed to do in Atlanta. And for about five years, I was doing about 220 games a year with the Hawks and the, and the Braves. So let's knock on wood, everyone. I must have <laughs> some kind of good health. Have you come close to missing a game? Not really. Um, th this year, I was going to miss a game because Abigail was graduating high school. And it turned out that it fell on an open date. 
So that's just luck. The baseball gods are on your side. <laughs> yeah, that's just luck. <laughs> what do you enjoy the most about broadcasting, Major League Baseball? Well, I like the immediacy of, first of all, everything that I've done that's been quote-unquote okay in broadcasting has been extemporaneous, talk shows and play-by-play. So, you know, how tough is this? It's great. I love every game. <laughs> Last night's game was great. Uh, and um, you don't know what's going to happen in tonight's game. And it's live. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it just fits into my life. I've loved all the sports since I've been a little boy. I'm sure you guys have too. You can't broadcast baseball unless you've been a baseball fan all your life. You know, someone says to you, um, uh, well, Warren Spahn would never. If you haven't grown up with baseball, you don't know who Warren Spahn is. So um, uh, I like all the, the four major sports I watch all the time. I watch as many games as I can. We're talking with John Sterling, the longtime voice of the Yankees. And, John, you were born and raised in Manhattan's Upper East Side. So with that in mind, what does it mean to you to be the voice of the Yankees? Well, it's, that's why I came from Atlanta, because I was told by a TBS chieftain, well, you can do the Hawks games forever. And um, I got the Yankee offer without an audition. Can you believe you know what a nutty business this is? <laughs> and that tells you what a nutty business it is. I got it without an audition, and I took it, leaving the sinecure in Atlanta because I didn't want to be an old man and say, yeah, I should have done the Yankees. And so I got there, and I had no idea that would evolve into this. And a couple of games, we did a lot of exhibition games because they wanted this new team to be on the air a lot. So even if we weren't on locally on WABC, who owned the rights, we would do it on the network. And after a few games, um, Jay Johnston, who was my partner and the producer, a fellow named Chris Lentini, they said to me, you know what, you're going to do this for 20 years. Well, now it's 28, <laughs> and I have four kids to put through college, so I'm not leaving anytime soon. <laughs> anyway, you know what you asked me? You can't dream that you're going to do the Yankees, right? It's all luck. Luck, time, timing, kismet, whatever. But it's kind of amazing that you grow up a big Yankee fan and you get to the Yankees. You know, that's odd. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What was your relationship with George Steinbrenner like? <laughs> Sensational. I miss him very much. Uh, do you have time for this? I'm going to go yes, tell you a story. Yes, but absolutely. Do you have time for this? Um, the, the Yankees were lousy when I got there. And they, uh, the newspapers just would rip George and whoever the general manager was at the t- moment. So on a Sunday afternoon, you know, I do everything kind of from the seat of my pants. And I said, it's amazing that they keep knocking George, and I think Bob Quinn was the GM, but I said, uh, how, how can they, why don't they knock the players? <laughs> They're the ones who are losing. And I went on and on and on. And a couple of nights later, we were in Milwaukee, and we had a rain delay. And ABC had talk, so we threw it back to the station. And I was wandering around that old ballpark, and I wandered past a booth. They were crummy. This wasn't sweets or anything. This is the old days. And George is sitting there, probably in Bud Selig's little place, and he stopped me, and he said, "Um, I just want to tell you this, John. You're going to do the Yankees forever. If they try to replace you, I'll veto it. 
So I gather he heard what I said on that Sunday. And, boy, that made me feel awfully good. And uh, we really got along great. Where did the home run calls come from for you? Well, it's become a cottage industry where I have to do a home run call for everyone, which is really tough. <laughs> you um, don't say. That yeah. seems almost impossible, John. Yeah. You know, uh, when I did the Nets, I would use a phrase for Bernard King. The players called him BB after the jazz guitarist. And so he'd make a big play, and I'd say, Bernard, Sky, BB King. And then I've told you the Dominique stuff, and Randy Whitman, Randy delivers a Whitman sampler, you know, all that nonsense that comes to my mind. So with the Yankees, uh, the first one was Bernie Williams, and I'd say, Burn, baby, burn, which really, he loved it. And Bernie goes boom. And then it kind of evolved where, where I have to do one for everyone, and I guess it's a good thing. And you can't believe. The writers want to know. People want to know. They send me ideas. So uh, I'm, I'm, in that way, I'm very fortunate. Is there a certain routine that you have as to how you come up with these? Is it on your way to the ballpark every day? Is it on your way home? How, what's the process? Well, now I have to think about it. Before, it just came to me. A-bomb for A-Rod just came to me when he hit a home run. He loved that, too. Um, uh, I, don't, I don't know. It's, it's a nice sidelight. You know, it's fun. And if people take it seriously, I'm sorry. I mean, <laughs> how, could you, how could you take it seriously, you know? Well, you have to have note cards for the entire roster at this point. I mean, there's no, a I lot just, of guys. I, just, I don't read. I put them in my head. Okay. As okay. I said, I do everything from by the seat of my uh -huh. pants. How has the game changed the most since you've started broadcasting Yankees baseball, John? Boy, that's a good question. See, I, I don't think the game has ever changed, Aaron, for me. Because I was watching it as a kid, you know, basically the same game. Oh, they put in the DH. And um, nowadays, guys can only pitch one inning. And, and when I grew up, you know, that wasn't so. And so they have so many pitchers. Everyone does. You don't have anyone on the bench. When I grew up, you know, Casey Stengel, he'd be pinch hitting for the shortstop in the third inning. He had a, an array of hitters on the bench. And even with Joe Torre in 96, when all this good stuff began, um, you can't believe the bench that they would have. And that, that's, really, that's one big change. Now they can't make any moves at all. The catcher has to stay there in case the catcher gets hurt. So you have two or three guys that you can bring in the game. So in that way, it's changed. I don't think they ought to try to speed it up. You know, baseball is baseball. It's different than the other sports, completely different than the other sports. And um, I, don't, I don't see the great changes. I, I guess the PEDs was a big change, but there will always be something like that. You referenced 1996. Of course, the year before in 1995, the Mariners and Yankees had a pretty oh, epic well, series. Was what that do you remember fabulous? from that? Oh, my God. I remember everything about it, <laughs> everything. Um, it, it was one of the most exciting series. It was the highest of highs, and the Yankees won two. They introduced Buck Showalter on the first game. It was the greatest noise, crowd noise I ever heard. And the place was shaking. Uh, and after the second game, which went a long time, in the rain yeah. and the cold, and um, I think Layritz, who hit a lot of big home runs, hit the home run to win the second game in 14, 15 innings. And then we're going to fly to Seattle. And the cops that were on the field, ringing the field so people wouldn't go on the field, and they're playing Sinatra's New York, New York, and the policemen are leading 
<laughs> the crowd in singing. <laughs> so I thought that that I remember. And then the games in the Kingdome were just fabulous. 60,000 people screaming, all the big hits. And, you know, um, everything changed because of that loss. If they had won, there wouldn't have been a Joe Torre. His life would have been completely different. And um, I'm going to try to wrap this up for you because I'm going too long. Um, Take your time. Yeah, as long as you want. The bases were loaded in the sixth inning, and Mattingly hit a line drive down the left field line. And all three runs would have scored. And the ball hopped over that short fence, you know, kind of like an Anaheim or an old Yankee stadium, that little fence. And it hopped over, and they had to send the guy back to third, and they never scored that run. Uh, Mike Stanley struck out. I think Deion James hit a fly ball. If it had been in reverse, that run would have scored. So the Mariners tied it up in the eighth inning, and the Yankees had a guy in the bullpen named Mariano Rivera, and they didn't know what they had. And if only they had known. There wouldn't have been a Joe Torre. And Joe Torre is one of my closest friends, and he knows it. <laughs> he knows it. And, uh, you know, Cohn pitched himself into exhaustion. Then they brought Mariano in, and he blew the next hitter away. And, and they wound up taking him out, and the Yankees got the lead, and obviously Seattle won in the bottom of the 11th. It's a great series, phenomenal series. In the, in the Saturday game, you know, Bernie hit homers from both sides of the plate. I think O'Neill hit a grand slam. The Yanks had a big lead for Scott Kamenicki, and he got killed. Edgar Martinez just murdered the Yankees. <laughs> and uh, it was a great series. What do you remember the most about Edgar? Uh, along with Manny Ramirez, one of the two greatest right-hand hitters I've ever seen, and they both murdered the Yankees. And those two guys both hit Mariano. And, you know, Mariano didn't get hit by many people. We just celebrated, too, King Griffey Jr. going into the Hall of Fame, the right. first Mariner in the Hall of Fame. What do you remember from Griffey? Well, when I was in uh, Atlanta, his dad was with the team. And after school, he came down to be with the team for a while. So I met him when he was very, very young. And um, then his dad, for whatever reason, was in Yankee Stadium in, let's say, 90 or 91, one of those years. They, they, the Yankees were bad. I, I've forgotten those years. They kind of, <laughs> <laughs> they kind of blended in. And um, Jesse Barfield did a shot to left center, and uh, uh, Junior made one of the greatest catches I've ever seen robbing him of a home. Yeah, he was great in every way. Well, that's some team that the Mariners had then. John, you've been so incredibly kind with your time. We need to do this more often. We really appreciate you swinging by the booth and, and sharing some fun stories with us. Well, any time at all. You know, I have a big mouth, and I like to run it, so thank you. <laughs> Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.